Hey, welcome to the Stinky Tofu Podcast. I'm your host, Daniela Furtado, and this is episode number six. The topic of today's episode is food and the media and the complicated relationship between the two of them. And I spoke to Arlette Martinez all about it. You can tell I like Spanish, eh? (laughs) Arlette will tell you more about herself later on, but in summary, she's a former chef and food anthropologist, so picking her brain was a lot of fun. You can find the show notes on our website, stinkytofufoodtalks.com. And if you like this episode, please do leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Your feedback and support really help us produce more episodes. Hope you like it. Let me double check that I got this all right. So you used to be a chef, right? Yes. And you used to work in media and advertising. Yes. And now you do academia and you focus just on food. Yes, that's exactly it. Mind blown. <laughs> so, I, you, yeah, yeah. Tell me a little bit about is, yourself, your the projects that you're working on, and and the world of academia. Uh, well, I can tell you how I started. First of all, I was in sociology, um, and I was really bored. But my hobby has always been cooking, mm-hmm. and we had a cultural association for Mexican Canadian students, and we used to have dinners or fundraisers and I was always the one cooking, making all of the Mexican foods and I responded to an ad uh, for a Mexican artist, Mexican Canadian artist in Montreal and it so happened that once they were late for dinner and I had to cook for them and they were instrumental in me going to culinary school and dropping sociology because they said you clearly hate sociology and you love cooking and you're good at it, you should go to culinary school. And they convinced me to go to culinary school. So I did. And it was great. I learned a lot. It is like being in the army. And then I moved on to working in high-end restaurants in Montreal. Uh, and I worked in the, in the industry for almost 10 years. Wow. So it's something uh, that wasn't planned. It was a big part of your life. Yes, I did eventually go back to school while I was cooking uh, because there's a thing called staff meal in the restaurants. Mm-hmm. Is basically you're using scraps or whatever is about to turn or mm-hmm. go bad, and you feed your fellow cooks and and the wait staff as well. So I would notice that because it was such a diverse kitchen everyone would cook their food with whatever ingredients we had or try to make variations and then there will be a full conversation of like oh this we make like this we eat at certain times or my mom makes it when it's raining or whatnot and i started noticing a lot of conversations regarding food and their culture or their personal stories and that's when i started thinking maybe there's something about food and intercultural relationships. Maybe I should go back to school. And I was at this point getting tired and I was already a head chef, so there was not going up anymore. And I had no social life. I was single. I was just thinking this is not for me maybe because I do want to do more than just going to work and going to sleep, walking my dog, repeat. So 
I went back to school, but I switched my program to anthropology. And I also was influenced by watching Anthony Bourdain at the time when he started doing the No Reservations. Of course, yeah. And that, that was it. it. Something clicked and I went back to school and I went full-fledged into food studies. Amazing. So that's And how long have you been doing that for now? Uh, that will be seven years. Well, okay. Okay, so this is perfect because today we're going to talk about the relationship between the food industry and the media industry and, uh, you know, their love-hate relationship. <laughs> so I got a set of questions for you. And first, I want to talk about social media. In your opinion, do you think social media has ruined food? Uh, I thought about it for a long time, and my answer is a bit complicated. It's, it's yes and no. Okay. But mostly yes. Give it to me. Tell me why. Okay, so media in general has always influenced the way we look at food and what we think we should be eating. But social media really altered our relationship with the world mm -hmm. and how we interact with others and also with food. Um, Instagram especially, I think, is what has changed our relationship mostly. Mm -hmm. uh, based on images and based on hashtags. So I think it has fueled uh, seeing food as another thing that you can consume and is trendy. Mm -hmm. and has really skewed our perception of like is this healthy is this wholesome and uh or is I it think delicious that, yeah because in that that was my next point some restaurants started realizing that if they make instagram worthy foods mm -hmm. that photograph well or are colorful then they will attract more people but there are some of these dishes that are, that are complete crap like they taste like crap Yeah, yeah, but yeah. it's all for the, it's all for the views. It's all for the gram, right? Mm -hmm. Food has become like, or or even dining out, it's become like having a Louis Vuitton bag or saying that, ooh, look at me, I've traveled to this exotic, quote unquote, exotic place, right? It's become this other, this next commodity instead of something that simply nourishes us and brings people together. And um, I don't know about you, but when I go to an Instagrammable restaurant, I kind of feel scammed. Because you see these photos, you think it's going to be great, you think the food is going to be delicious, and you realize that in the end it's just for the photos, and the food is, like you said, it tastes like shit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, there were some, as, as a cook, while I was still in the industry, and I would see people taking photos and taking photos and not starting to eat. Let's say I served a risotto. You need to eat that while it's warm. And done. And I would see people rearranging the table. They put the candle in front. They will move the glass. They will. They take forever to take the perfect photo, and they're not eating their food. And by the time they get to eat it, it might not be at its top quality because the moment you put up a dish, it's just gonna go yeah. downhill from there. So there are some restaurants, particularly in France, they will just ban photos altogether. Really? You were not allowed. You were not allowed to take photos. Wow. I can't recall the name of the of the chef that started it, but others in the U.S. and in, in Canada follow suit. Whoa! Because it's just like, uh, as a cook, you yell at waiters 
if the food is sitting in the past because you know mm. that the quality is decreasing mm -hmm. and you want the person to the, the customer to try it and have like a mouth gas but if it's sitting there that dish is slowly dying right so it's kind of like a slap in the face when you intentionally take longer to serve food that people rushed and work so hard to get to your your table for me i always thought I actually don't mind taking photos of food unless you're taking an extremely long time. But for the most part, <laughs> I don't see that as like the, the big problem. For me, it's when um, like a restaurant is chosen over another by a food critic or, or food magazine because of its aesthetic or when restaurants go out of business because they just can't keep up with, you know, the, the trends. They can't invest money into into creating a beautiful design and having beautiful furniture. Um, for me, it's it's the impact it has on mom and pop shops I, and uh, uh, local restaurants. I don't know if you've seen that. Um, have you seen restaurants suffer trying to keep up with it all? Yes. Um, actually, I see restaurants going above and beyond to keep up. I have not seen... Uh... Personally, a restaurant that has failed because uh, it didn't have a social media presence, let's say. Mm -hmm. But I have noticed that some restaurants, even the lighting has changed to make it more mm -hmm. uh, friendly for the camera. So they're, instead of having a bright light, it's like a more yellow or they're just trying to make it so that people are able to take better photos. Right. But I attended a congress for... The restaurants Canada and most of it was it, it's a gathering for restaurateurs to know about the trends and see what's in the industry going on and they invited the head um, of this food marketing company that exists here in Toronto and other um, like a food blogger and a photographer and one hour out of the two hours presentation was about food and social media and how to market your restaurant to social media, particularly Instagram. Mm -hmm. And that I found a little bit problematic because the advice wasn't, okay, this, the, how to beat the algorithm or the use of hashtags or how Instagram works, but it was mostly about saying, hey, you need to provide a Instagram worthy food because that's what people want and if you want people in your restaurant you probably should consider making your dishes more appealing visually and all these things <laughs> I was just raging a little bit almost broke my pen because it's not yes it is important because you, you we live in a capitalist world and obviously you need to promote yourself in order to survive and here there's a lot of restaurants so there's a lot of competition mm -hmm. But I don't think that there's a cookie-cut kind of way to go about it. And say, okay, step one, open Instagram. Step two, have a funny handle. Step three, have uh, content every day around 1 p.m. because that's when people are looking at photos of food and all that. So it's, it's, um, it's a double-edged sword, I would say. I have noticed that... At least here in Canada, there is a quest for authenticity. Right. I think everywhere. But what so, is authenticity? <laughs> exactly. That's another... That's it's an illusion. Yeah. 
yes, that's that will be another two-hour podcast, I think. <laughs> but the people are using hashtag authentic under certain in- Instagram posts. And I was just reading about how racist it could be. Really? Why? Because they, they were, someone was conducting a visual analysis between, let's say, pasta dishes and pho and other uh, noodle base like yakisoba or ramen. Mm-hmm. So they compared the photos of, let's say, a plate of spaghetti. It looks, there's no cutlery in it. Mm-hmm. There is just a pile and looks with the basil. It looks beautiful. And every single photo that this person looked at with Asian food, the chopsticks were always on top of the bowl or in the food, always kind of using the chopsticks as a way of saying and hashtag authentic experience oh, or something like that. So it is problematic in the sense of like the visual representation because we might not realize that we continue using stereotyping yeah. through food. And they always like to have, for example, um, the colorful tablecloth for Mexican food mm. or it needs to have. So there's certain elements for certain ethnic foods that they feel that they need to have in the photo in order to convey an authentic dining ex- yeah, experience. I get it, yeah. Yeah, you know, I'm a digital marketer, so that's what I do professionally. And uh, I'm very open about my relationship with social media and it's a love-hate relationship. So it's tough, right? I don't think they're, I I don't know if we're going to come to some sort of conclusion with this, but uh, it really breaks my heart to see people not willing to go to a restaurant because it's not Instagrammable. Um, if you have the resources to create an Instagrammable restaurant and the food is great, like kudos to you, right? You're you're keeping up with the times, and essentially that's what you have to do to keep up in this in this economy in this market. Um, but it's it's a pity when people um, they don't go to a restaurant because it doesn't have that aesthetic, and that's very superficial and that's very sad, right? Because that could be a really good restaurant. It's just kind of like no frills. It's it's you know your local pub, your local bar, your local restaurant. Actually, there's um there's a really cool project here in Madrid that a uh, girl named Leah created. Shout out to her. Her name is uh, her Leah, and the project is called Madrid No Frills, and she she interviews and takes photos of these bars that no one wants to go to because it's not cool it's not aesthetic or it's a little intimidating because it's too local or whatever that is um and so that's cool that she gives a spotlight because they also don't those owners are a little bit older they're not tech savvy they don't know how to use social media and so she's giving them a platform and that's really cool which leads me to my next question i want to talk about representation and, you know, you've worked um, on the other side, you've worked in food media and I mean, and you've studied it as well. Uh, do you think there's a lack of representation? Do you think that there's not enough women, uh, not enough members of the LGBT community, not enough POCs that are food writers, food critics, food bloggers, food YouTubers? And does it matter? Does the representation matter in the food hmm. industry? That's a good question. I do think that there's a lack of representation mainly on mainstream media, let's say, um, because now most food magazines have gone digital. Mm -hmm. Let's say Food and Wine, Food and Travel, uh, Bon Appetit, all of these major um, magazines have gone digital and they have messed up so many times 
Sometimes, uh, I don't know if you heard when I think it was Bon Appetit had a video on YouTube of how to eat pho. Ah, yes. Uh, I, yes, proper. yes. And it's a white person <laughs> trying to teach others how to eat that. Uh, and also, the writers are mostly um, white privileged. On the other end, there is a push for representation in every aspect in the media, and the series, on TV, on the news. There's a push, I feel, for trying to have visual, visual minorities or visible minorities. Sorry, but. I do feel that there is not enough people, let's say, people of color especially, or women, or members of the LGBT that are doing food and they're open about their personal identities because sometimes it's also a grueling uh, industry. Mm -hmm. And there's also not enough famous chefs, let's say, there are actual people of color or women, they're all, if, mm -hmm. if you look at the 50 best restaurants in the world. Well, now there's a Mexican chef that that was a total yes. surprise. Yeah, yeah. And it's a it's a woman of color. Yes, but there's mostly been white heterosexual males mm -hmm. running the kitchens, right? And now I do think that there is uh, an emergence of new people in the media. At least here in Canada, there is um, a site called Black Foodie. Yes. Yeah. I, I and them on Instagram. Yes. So there, I, I wish there was more. There is um, a push for trying to be more out there and say, hey, this is my food. I don't need a white person to tell me how to eat it. Mm -hmm. I'm going to teach the white people how to eat it, let's mm -hmm. say. There, that is one of their approaches, mm -hmm. which I find it's great. Mm -hmm. And um, there are, well, it's not maybe... A, minority but i don't know if you've seen pasta grannies on on youtube no i haven't the pasta grannies uh they're amazing they're uh really old italian grandmas they're teaching people how to make pasta on youtube oh cool and that is the good aspect let's say of um social media and food because you can do a lot of harm to food and, and especially, let's say, with quinoa and avocado and other things that get, become trendy and then people want to consume them. But if you have people like Black Foodie or, let's say, Newcomer Kitchen also mm -hmm. here in Canada, they're, they're out there and they're raising awareness about issues concerning their community and also food. Mm -hmm. But there is not that many people out there that look like you and I being famous or being uh, representing us and our cultures through food. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, yeah, totally. And, it, and you know, I think representation is important as well because, I mean, what you were talking about earlier about the stereotypes and how restaurants and the media feeds into these stereotypes to, to convey a certain message and appeal to, stereo, to those stereotypes. I'm repeating the word a lot, but... You know, when you have people of that culture on those teams, on those social media teams, they're going to kind of keep it more real, I guess is a, a one way of saying it. They're going to say, no, this is not true to our culture or you're just feeding into the stereotypes. And so you're going to get more accurate and authentic representations of that cuisine. And it's interesting when I have this conversation with people, a lot of people 
you know a lot of women lgbt and pocs they also say like it's just food we don't need representation um because it's food and <laughs> it's something that i've debated a lot in, in my own mind i mean i don't know what you'll think about this but i i do think it's important i think especially for example food critics when you're reading food reviews the dining is not just about food it's also about the experience if i'm queer then i want to make sure i'm going to a restaurant that is queer friendly or if i'm a mom uh, i want to make sure that i'm going to a restaurant that you know is kid friendly and you know won't be pissed off when i when i bring a stroller or a bunch of kids with me so so i i want to read reviews and i want critics to understand that part of the dining experience that i have to go through i don't know what you think do you think representation is important in food media i think so especially because uh historically food has been used also to um discriminate and oppress people. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of food um, slurs related to race. Uh, I've been called a beaner while traveling to the US. And I've never traveled there again, but, and there is others like frogs and so on. Um, There's racial slurs relating to the food that people eat. Mm -hmm. So why not celebrate that food and maybe use it as a way to dispel all these stereotypes and also they have the assumption that people of color don't go to restaurants or don't like fine dining ah yeah and it's not true right and you should consider your audience as well and and if it's you're a white privileged food critic that has no idea about ethnic food or has a, a skewed perception of how this dish should be you're not are you doing your job as a food critic or are you just indulging yourself in writing something? Mm-hmm. That would be also something to consider because I have read reviews of um, restaurants in Montreal where I, I had friends working at, and there was this particular Mexican restaurant that I think it's still open. My friend no longer works there, but the, the critics were like, yes, this, this is a fiesta of the senses. Really? Did you have to use that word? Mm-hmm. Did you have to insert stereotype? Oh, it's Mexican. We have to use the word fiesta. Mm-hmm. And this person is well respected in, in Montreal, but it's a white privileged person. Mm-hmm. And other reviews kind of are like playing a little bit, using the cultural aspect of that food as a buzzwords. Mm-hmm. But I don't feel that the people are actually interested in learning through their dining experience. They were just trying to check some boxes. Is it nice? Is it a core nice? I feel like this is worth coming back. It's, it's just, it doesn't matter. Did you pay attention to the food, how it was prepared? Did you ask mm-hmm. about the dish? Or were you just consuming and then continuing with this? consumption of food, but not having a conversation about the importance of it culturally. Mm -hmm. So I guess what we can take away from this is like to, to, what do I want to say? You know, if you want to really enjoy cuisine, appreciate it and show interest in learning about it and don't just 
limit yourself to the stereotypes and the artificial artificial stuff that you see all the time about the cuisine you know dig deeper yeah i also want to ask you about ethics do you think nowadays with all with the fake news and nutritional myths and sponsored content especially mm-hmm. you know privacy and ethics and and a lack of honesty is is a hot topic right now especially in journalism do you think people there are journalists out there that practice ethical food journalism or maybe i should ask like have we ever practiced ethical food journalism hmm yeah i'm not just sure about the ethical aspects of it i find that overall all journalism right now is you don't know what to believe mm-hmm. it's very hard to find a sense of trust because of all this fake news and everything that's going on and the easy access to information i do think that people should be more responsible in one if they're sponsored at least this would be so some disclosure mm-hmm. let's say if you're a youtuber that is doing uh beauty products or if you're writing about it people are disclosing mm-hmm. okay i was sponsored by so and so to say this but journalists won't obviously say that because they want to maintain their credibility somehow mm-hmm. but i do think that they should be a bit more um, aware of the issues that and the repercussions of certain articles can have and like the, the impact on certain populations i'll give you an example because i, I feel like i might not be Uh, answering the question, um, let's say when quinoa became uh, this superfood, and there were articles everywhere in the, in the BBC, on the CBC, about this new super crop that you should eat because it's nutritious and whatnot. Uh-huh. But yes, it is nutritious and it is like health. It, it is healthy. But it was hyped. But it was hyped too much. And there was not much scientific facts being used or, or sources cited for this. It was just like, oh, I heard from someone, and it's just, and, and you're reading this on the on the Guardian, on the on the BBC, and you would think that those places have somewhat hard standards for how you're going to report something. But if I feel that when it comes to food, they just treat it as almost as a blog post. Mm-hmm as compared to if you were reporting about war or certain whatever other news something that was a little bit more sensitive right yes so you're trying to use your sources and you're careful about the wording that you use because it might impact certain things and the food when i read articles about food from these news sites it just feels like slice of life mm. and there's not seriously yeah there's not enough rigor when reporting things about food on the media, I find. And well, the the hype of quinoa then had huge impact in in producers and shortages and inflated prices Mm -hmm. and monocropping and could go on and on. But people are not reporting saying back, hey, we might have overhyped this and now there is maybe a need to cut down on this super food that we were pushing because of the impact that it has had but it's just like oh it happens yeah 
if you could change one thing about the food media industry, if you like it to, what kind of like, what is your vision for it? What, how, what would you change about it? I think I would just make it brutally honest. Mm -hmm. That would be a good one. That's I think it, it just needs more more honesty, and then you can you can embellish us however you want, but disclose. Hey, I, I was given a free meal at this restaurant, or certain because countries now are sponsoring campaigns, let's say, or articles. Uh, especially Mexico is really having a push for gastro tourism, and they're publishing a lot about avocados. Mm -hmm. But uh, everyone, well, not I guess not everyone. I, I shouldn't say that. Some people are more aware that the hype of avocados, especially going back to Instagram, has caused serious uh, safety issues in Mexico mm -hmm. because uh, the state where the avocados are produced, Michoacan, is it's pretty much a war zone, and the cartels are are. Um, blackmailing and taking over plots of land so that they can sell avocados for money laundering and whatnot. So now you have these blood avocados, like blood diamonds, and are we hearing about it in the news? Mm -hmm. Yeah, people need to be more honest and people need to be more critical as well, right? Like, don't read, every, don't believe everything that you hear, and and be more critical. It yes. goes both ways. Yeah, but critical thinking doesn't seem to be, sadly, doesn't seem to be used so much. I think it's a skill as well, right? I think it does. Yeah. I think it, it, it needs some time. You need to learn how to do it. You need to learn how to ask those questions and have those research skills. It, it, yeah, yeah. I, I, but it can but be at least just Yeah, at least question things. Yeah, absolutely. At least ask, is this true? Or comment with others and be like, what do you think? And try to start a conversation. At, at least that is what we can take away from all this. Mm -hmm. Is that good or bad, all these um, food trends or, or the news about food or food being such a present thing in the media can start a conversation. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having this conversation. It was It's a difficult conversation to have because there's so much going on in the world and media is so complex. It's it's got so many layers. Um, before we wrap up, please tell us where can we find you online. Oh, okay. Well, my website is called Cultural Appetite, mm -hmm. so it will be culturalappetite.ca. And the point of this website, because before I used to, when I was in culinary school, I had a food blog, long long time ago, and I would like to bridge a little bit of the academic aspect of food with you every day, because while I was trying to get into food studies at the time, there wasn't much resources and it was very difficult to find um, articles or, or just to connect with academics that will do the same or will have similar interests. Mm -hmm. So the idea for this website is just to perhaps be a little bit of a critique on social aspects of food or what's going on in the, in the food world mm -hmm. and also uh, give an opportunity to young emerging food academics to write about food and have maybe um, offer some help for those coming into the field after us because it was quite difficult.
Oh, it sounds perfect. It sounds like a really, really meaningful project. Well, thank you again so much. Thank you. It was a pleasure. I love these questions. <laughs>